This is episode five of Ruminate. Ruminate is a podcast about opportunities and challenges that technology presents us with every day. I'm Rob Lewis, and with me, as always, is Mr. John Voorhees. Hi, John. Hey, Rob. How are you doing today? I'm very well, thank you. I'm happy that uh, my neighbours have just stopped um, trimming their hedge because that was getting pretty noisy and I was worried we weren't going to be able to record. <laughs> yeah, we're getting, we're going into that part of the year where it'll be dicey for me too because I had to go upstairs and turn off the heat basically because I'm in the basement and the, once that furnace gets blowing, it blows very loud. So uh, we can't go too long because I might freeze to death. <laughs> so if you, uh, if you stop talking, I'll... Um... I'll start to worry. Yeah, it's not that bad here yet. It was It's the last couple of nights it's gotten down into the 30s, um, which is approaching freezing for those of you outside the U.S. Um, Thank you for the conversion there, because I really wasn't <laughs> sure. Yeah, no, I mean, we. I learned the metric system thanks to Jimmy Carter for one year, and then we gave up on it when Ronald Reagan became president. So that's your politics for the day. Excellent. And on that note, let's not do any more politics. And uh, how about you uh, tell me about your phone, John? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I just doxed myself on my age, too. So there is that. Um, yeah, no, I've been really I've, I've loved my six plus. It's it's great. I mean, it's always nice to have a fresh new battery. Um, the battery life is insane. I've been using it on kind of a more regular basis. Um, you know, the first week or so you have a new phone, you fiddle around, move the apps around, try various things out, try the new features. And I don't think it's a very good indicator of your battery life as a result. But the last week I've been pretty busy at work. So as a result, I've been using the phone kind of in a more normal way, you know, checking things from time to time, but not having it constantly out and fiddling with it. So, uh, it, it easily lasts the full day, which, which is great because I used to get on the train, go to, go to work and arrive with like 40 or 50% battery and have to immediately plug it in. So that that's been great. Um, I've also been experimenting with the Apple Silicon case. I went, I guess it was a couple Saturdays ago and, uh, picked up the orange silicon case. I was going to get the orange watch, uh, band too, but I decided to hold off on that to see, uh, I don't know, just to hold off on it. And it wasn't, it wasn't something I needed and, uh, wasn't sure if the case would stick, um, and wanted to have a nice fashionable matching case and watch if the, if the case stuck. Uh, and I'm still not sure whether the case is going to stick with me because, um, I like it. It definitely makes it more grippy, makes it easier. It makes me feel more secure in using it when I'm walking around um, outside and whatnot. But um, it is a little bit too grippy in terms of getting it in and out of a pocket. Um, so since I think Wednesday or Thursday of last week, I've been just using it uh, naked again. And it's making me, it's causing a little bit of anxiety as I walk around to, uh, down to the train in the morning and I try to, uh, try to, uh, send a text or something, but I do really like, um, I've always used my phones without a case and I, I do like using this phone without one too. I just do feel like it is a little hard to, uh, to manage just because of the size and the slipperiness of the, um, you know, of the, of the case of the outside of the phone. So, yeah, that's always been my concern. Um, with not having a case on especially on iphones and, and just modern smartphones in general because they're these just huge slabs of glass um and i feel like you know even if i've got just a you know a, a not very good case on it it might at least give it a little bit more um protection i i, I haven't um 
tried it without a case for for a long time because I just don't don't trust myself not to not to drop it and, and smash it. And of course, those get expensive when you start needing to replace the screen and stuff like that at the Apple Store. Right. Uh, you know the um, also the the one handed use is is an issue. I mean, it's it's an issue when you have to type. Um, if I have both hands free and I'm walking down the street, it's not a big deal. But if I have something in one of my hands, uh, it's nearly impossible to reach the other side of the screen, um, whether it's to tap an icon or, or just tap out a, a short message. I got to start using Siri more, I guess. Yeah. I wonder, I wonder what you're going to look like doing that on the train, but, uh, but yes, yeah, yeah, I know well, a lot of, t- <laughs> true. I, a lot of times I'm just by myself walking down the street. So I'll just look like a crazy person and that's, that's okay. Yeah, that, that, that seems fine, John. Um, so we have, um, we spoke a, a little while ago about the Apple TV um, and, and Plex was one of the apps I mentioned. There's a new app that, uh, I guess it hasn't been released yet, but some, you know, the developers released some screenshots called Simplex, uh, which is a Plex client for the Apple TV. Um, it's kind of built with all the... It's you know built with all the native components and you know it kind of looks really nice. Um, the developers saying it will be released, um, assuming nothing goes wrong uh, on on day one of the Apple TV App Store. So um, so yeah, we'll pop a link in the show notes to that. But that um, that looks like quite a nice option for playing Plex on the new Apple TV. Yeah, I really like the the look of this app. What's interesting to me is I have I'm surprised we we've we saw this just because I have not seen many Apple TV apps teased in the wild yet. Um, you know, we're, we are now what, not even two weeks away. We're 13 days away from the end of the month. Um, Apple TV was supposed to come by the end of October. If it comes out on say a Friday, the 30th or Saturday, the 31st of October, um, you would think that developers would start, would need to start submitting apps by sometime next week, maybe towards the end of the week. Um, I have not heard any rumors of that. Um, that's what we've been assuming because I know my son Owen's been working on a game for the Apple TV. Haven't quite teased it yet because I'm still not 100% sure it's going to make it out day one. But um, yeah, it's it's been a pretty short period of time, and and it, I I it seems to me it might slip. I don't know. I mean, I, there may have been something on Mac rumors about that actually. Now to come come to think of it, I didn't see it, but someone told me that there was a rumor that it may be slipping into early november but who knows i mean those those rumors you can take them for what they're worth yeah i mean we did have obviously with uh was ios 9 wasn't it there really was a just a short period between submission and uh and release so i mean maybe they'll just do the same with the apple tv at some point and just go oh we're releasing it next week by the way um and just wait for the submissions then yeah, it's always interesting when that happens because that's where you the where you really realize um that notwithstanding the fact that supposedly all developers are created equal, they really aren't. I mean, there are, you know, and, and nor should they really be, I, I think. I mean, the, the bigger development shops, uh, usually, you know, they get, they usually get uh, hardware early. Here, a lot of people got the hardware, but oftentimes, um, you know, they get, it seems they get put up to the, put at the front of the queue uh, in terms of app review when there's a tight deadline like that, which, you know, it's fine. They want to have the big apps on the store day one and takes a little longer for some of the uh the smaller developers to get in there yeah definitely um did you want to tell me about this you went to a gaming show is that right yesterday yeah i did i mean my uh my youngest son's been 
been um, wanting to go to something like PAX for a long time, and this was not PAX. <laughs> Um, it's called ValorCon. It was fine. It was more, it was not so much a, a, a video game convention where they announce anything. It was more of a player's conference. Um, they rented out the top, one of the top floors of what is essentially a failed shopping mall in downtown Chicago. So there was a bunch of empty, um, storefronts. And they had some talks, uh, and they had a lot of uh, space for playing various card games like, um, Oh, Magic the Gathering, and they were playing D&D, and they had a video game section where they had some mostly Xbox 360s set up, um, some PCs with Minecraft and other games, um, and then they had some tournaments of some console games, like um, they had a Super Smash Brothers tournament going on, and uh, Mario Maker, that sort of thing. It was okay. It wasn't what we had expected, so we didn't. We stayed for a few hours, checked out things, uh, went to a couple of the talks, one on Minecraft, and then another one on podcasting, which was kind of interesting just because, um, you know, I, I'm familiar with... You hear a lot of podcasters talking about podcasting, but it's all from the podcasts that you listen to, and mine are mostly tech and Mac-centric, um, and this was coming from the kind of a gamer's perspective, um, and it was... You know, the advice and the ideas were very similar to what um, you've heard if you've listened to um, a lot of the podcasts and either Relay or 5 by 5 or something like that. Um, but it, it seemed as though the gamers were mostly using Audacity instead of GarageBand for the recording or their, their editing of their podcast, which I've heard is um, kind of hard to use and has a bad UI, but... But it has the value of being free. Uh, I, I guess it's probably expected because um, obviously with, with gaming for PC, <clears throat> you know, ninety probably ninety five, ninety nine percent of that is happening on on Windows uh, rather than on the Mac. So obviously, the, I, I don't know what the kind of garage band equivalent um, is for Windows. So I guess if you know if Audacity works, then um, th then yeah, it's kind of expected. Right, right. And the the other thing I found a little bit interesting in terms of like um, promotion was, I guess a lot of gamers are on Google Plus, which I would not have guessed. Uh, and that's how, uh, that's where you go to find gamers for podcasts as you go to Google Plus and promote yourself there. So I, not something I need to do, but uh, interesting to know. It's always good to keep in mind that different, you know, different groups and crowds hang out in different places. Yeah, I've always found that interesting um, to see, like, you know, as you say, in our kind of tech bubble, we kind of think, oh, if nobody uses Google+, Plus, nobody uses this, everyone uses that. But kind of outside of that, there, you know, there's these huge, huge communities on, on other stuff like Google+, and, um, you know, just all these kind of other, um, other sites that maybe we don't even consider um, to use. Yeah, the other thing. So that's that was this past weekend, but uh, or yesterday. But next week, I am heading off to Release Notes, which is a conference in Indianapolis, Indiana, um, which I'm really looking forward to. I'm really it's, jealous of this one. <laughs> this one is great because it's practically in my backyard. I mean, that's like a three-hour drive for me. Mm. Um, you know, which is not that bad. I, it starts on a Wednesday evening, so I'll probably take off mid-afternoon, drive down there. And it goes through Friday. Um, and this is being run by Charles Perry and Joe Chaplinsky, who run who do the Release Notes podcast, which is a an, a development podcast based on and focused on the business side of things, not the code. And I think that that is, um, I mean, I think that it's a great thing we haven't had. There have been talks here and there at various conferences that that uh, touch on the business aspects, but um, 
having a whole conference dedicated to it, I think is, is really nice. And there are a lot of, there are going to be a lot of interesting people showing up and speaking. So looking forward to that and hopefully have some good stories when we record next time. Yeah, definitely looking forward to, uh, to hearing that. Cause we've got, uh, is it Mike, Mike Hurley's doing the, the opening keynote? Is that right? Yeah, he is. Mike's doing that. Um, I know underscore is going to be there talking, uh, let's see, Jim Dalrymple trying to think there, there are a number of people speaking. Um, and then there are a lot of people who are attending. Um, I know we've got, you know, a lot of, a lot of, um, iOS developers. Um, I know, let's see, Greg Pierce, who does drafts is going to be there and Marco Arment. Um, I think Jason Snell is coming out for it a bunch of people. So it should be interesting. Yeah. It sounds like it's going to be uh, a good couple of days. Yep. Uh, so do you want to talk a little bit about, um, the, the stuff you've had with, uh, log my run, uh, the, the, one of the apps that you've got over at, uh, Squibner and, and Buzzfeed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this, this was kind of a weird thing. And I, 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 there are a couple of, I think it's, it's just kind of anecdotally interesting, um, as a, as a developer log, my run is a, is a running log app that, uh, my son Owen developed and it's been on the store for quite a while. At least, I don't know, at least three or four years. And he's updated it from time to time. Uh, it's a very simple app doesn't use GPS or anything like that. It's just really for someone who wants to keep a, a diary of their runs and it, it makes it easy by pulling in the, the weather information automatically and having different fields for notes and pace and calculates a lot of that and that uh, automatically and then creates uh, graphs and, and things like that. So it's, you know, it's, it's, um, sells modestly well week to week, handful of copies a week at this point. Um, been kind of passed by, by a lot of the bigger name running apps, but it still has a decent following. Uh, and then all of a sudden one day I wake up and it's sold, uh, I think 47 copies in a day. And I thought, this is, <laughs> this is strange. What's going on here. And I couldn't find any mention, mention of it anywhere. Wasn't on, couldn't find anything on Twitter. Couldn't find anything on the web. The next day it, you know, I think it sold like 60 something copies. I thought, huh, that's weird you know, looking, looking for, uh, what was going on. Um, still couldn't just figure out what was happening. And then it, the next day it just tailed off, um, before spiking even higher than either of the previous two days. So over the course of, I don't know, five or six days, it sold about 225 copies. Um, about halfway through that, I went through the Apple analytics in iTunes connect and saw uh, an entry for BuzzFeed and it said something, you know, it, it, I'll get to the punchline about BuzzFeed in a minute, but it's like, Oh, okay. So we went and looked and there it was, uh, log my run was in a listicle. It was like number 12 out of 15 tips for people who want to learn how to run. So you've, uh, you've unlocked that achievement then at least. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. We have one of our apps in a listicle and we'll, I will put the awesome uh, link in the, in the show notes. Um, not a big fan of Buzzfeed. I mean, most of their articles are kind of junk. Um, you know, this was obvious. This was not something that we, we went out looking for. It wasn't that we did any marketing. It was just, you know, a stroke of lightning that hit some, reporter somewhere was using it, liked it and dropped it in an article, which is great. Um, problem is it's not one, it's not a repeatable thing. Um, and two, I was amazed at how little Google juice Buzzfeed has. And I suppose this is probably by design, but 
I could not for the life of me, unless I, until I searched Buzzfeed and log my run, I could not come up with the app. Um, up, I'm sorry. I couldn't come up with the article. It was completely invisible to me until I saw the, the reference to it in, um, in the analytics. Now, you know, the other thing about this, that's, that's kind of interesting is that, um, the analytics for, uh, for iOS that they have in iTunes connect still are not very good. I mean, part of it is that a lot of the stuff in there is opt in. And so a lot of people are not, it's not capturing everybody's data. And just to give people, this is, you know, obviously just one, one instance, but as I said, there were about 220 sales. I think the analytics said there were 10. Um, so it just barely registered strongly enough to show up in the analytics. Uh, and the, the actual sales were about 20 X, the actual, um, the actual sale, I'm not 20 X, 10 X, the actual sales, 20 X. My math is not yeah, good no, today, Rob. 20 X sounds about right. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> so to clarify this, am I right in thinking that, um, the, the iTunes Connect analytics are directly linked to uh, the uh, give developers uh, feedback or whatever it is when you set up an iPhone. Is that right? The Sorry, not feedback, um, like analytics and data from my phone, that, that kind of thing. Is that, is that related to that? Um, this, I think it is not actually, um, because it's come, it's, it's tracking what's traffic to the, uh, to the store coming from a website. Some of the analytics are, this one is not, but I'm not, and I don't understand why this is, it clearly showed far more hits to the app store than sales, which is what you expect. People check it out and they don't necessarily buy it, but, uh, but the actual sales it was recording were extremely low compared to reality. So I'm not sure what's going on there. It's just not, I mean, at that kind of differential between reality and, and what was reported, it's really not useful. Um, it, it was useful in the sense that it helped me find where this traffic was coming from since I couldn't find it anywhere else. But beyond that, it, it, you know, it didn't give me any, any sense. It didn't, didn't really record reality. So, um, I would say off the top of my head, the first thought I maybe had is, um, you know, kind of when you open a link in say Tweetbot in a, in a web view or like Safari view controller. And then that opens to the app store. Um, you know, maybe you open it in Safari to get it to work and things like that. Uh, I guess it's possible maybe that the referrer is being lost between those two uh, stages. So you're in an app, you click a link, um, and then it opens in Safari to then open in the iTunes store. Um, that would be my first thought, that maybe the, the referrer data um, is being lost in between two apps somewhere um, before it actually hits the app store. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, you know, two, we've got the, um, Buzzfeed, I think those, those are a lot of times those articles tend to be those articles you see at the bottom of some like Yahoo news or something, you know, uh, where they try to get you to click on them. And maybe that's exactly that kind of situation that there aren't as many people going directly to Buzzfeed to click on an article as there are people who see it in a sidebar and say, Oh, I'd like to be a runner and click there. And it gets lost in the on its way to the, uh, to the app store somehow. Yeah. It sounds like maybe that's what's happening. I mean, obviously I've no idea of the internal workings of, of iTunes connect or their analytics. Um, 
Nobody does, Rob. <laughs> That's no. part of the problem. <laughs> does anyone at Apple? Probably not. <laughs> at Apple, yes, but not outside. Um, yeah, it's, it was just interesting, just kind of an interesting story. Um, it was one of those things, too, where my first thought was, how do you capitalize on this? And one one thought was to uh, put the app on sale, but um, decided not to because people coming from – people are out who are not getting to the app via – um, um, a means other than BuzzFeed weren't going to really know it's on sale. I, I just, it struck me that it wasn't going to, it wasn't going to do anything other than bring in less revenue. And that, that wasn't really too attractive. Um, no, and I, but you know, you, you, go ahead. Um, and I, I guess in some way that because you didn't know kind of until a couple of delays in that at least where the traffic was coming from, you know, by that point you've already made loads of sales or, or you know, in this case, you know, substantially more than you usually would. Um, so right. I assume by the time you've dropped the price, you probably lose a lot of that benefit anyway. Um, right. I mean, the, the, what it, I guess arguably what it could have done, dropping the price, what might have made it more likely that some of those BuzzFeed um, people would, would buy it instead of just take a pass. But yeah, it's a $2 app, um, by the way. Um, so I, I suppose that's possible. Uh, decided it wasn't really worth, uh, worth doing that. I'm, I'm fairly stingy with running sales. I, you know, I think you more often than not just undercut your, your own business doing that. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure that, um, that, I mean, I, I guess maybe the sales do work if you're talking kind of say like a 90% discount, if you're talking like a $10 game or something, then yeah, that's probably going to drive more traffic. But I think under that kind of four or $5 mark, if you're under there, I'm not convinced that a sale is going to really drive enough traffic to, um, or, or, you know, enough sales to, to make it worthwhile. Right. This one was a little bit on the edge for me in terms of whether it would make any difference. I think it makes a difference when it's like a, like you said, like a game where you've got a really big market, um, and you're, you're drawing the attention of thousands of people and you might grab, um, you know, increment, uh, exponentially more, more buyers if you put it on sale. But, um, if you've got a more of a niche app, I don't think that that necessarily makes a lot of, makes a lot of sense. No, definitely not. What it does do, I guess, is juice your, your rankings. It's interesting to watch the rankings because, um, in the health and fitness at one point, log my run got up to about number 42, which is pretty high. Um, but it, it dropped like a rock very quickly. I mean, it, you know, you'll get, you get a, you get a lot of views and a lot of, uh, purchases in a short period of time and it shoots you up pr the rankings pretty quickly. Um, but as soon as those start trailing off, you start dropping very quickly. Yeah. I wonder how high up you really need to be up that list to, um, to sustain it. And, and, and again, if it's kind of a, um, a specific genre of app, you know, health and fitness, that's again, like kind of one tap further away than like the main top list. Um, and I, I don't, you know, I wonder how many people are browsing those specific categories. Um, I would, I would just, yeah, I would suspect very few. I mean, I think it makes a big difference. If you can get into the top paid or top grossing, um, you know, maybe the top 20 or 20 or 40. I think I forget it. I think it's maybe 25 that show when you're uh, when you open the app. If you open that list, if you're on your phone, it shows about the top 20 or so. That's the magic number. I think once you're up there, it'll sustain itself. But people, you're right. I mean, I don't think very many people go clicking into the categories and then from the categories into the lists. Um, so I don't think that, uh, being in the, being in the top 40 is definitely not going to help you being in the top 
10 or 20 maybe uh, but i think overall you really need to get into the uh you know the aggregate lists that that collect all the apps and that that is exceedingly difficult these days i, I mean i've um i i occasionally kind of look into the uh you know the category uh top list i'll pick kind of utilities or um you know a, a similar category to that trying to you know just just see what's available because the the normal top charts is just filled with with games and, and things like that, that i'm not interested in um and, and something like utilities particularly is completely useless because the the top 20 for the most part is just filled with torch apps but i mean how are they still at the top of the charts i've no idea um yeah i don't yeah it's amazing to me that stuff is still in there um it made a lot of sense when the app store first opened it you know there were two kinds of apps when the store first opened there were people who created created the flashlight apps which were really just a um you know a, a view a white view um, with a button um, which I think, if I remember right, even w- there was something along those lines in the sample code that originally came out with the first um, iPhone OS. And the other category were things like Twitterific, which were made by people who were um, veteran Mac developers who could pick up on iOS very quickly because they knew Coco. Um, everybody, everything else was, I think, mostly, you know, fart apps and flashlights yeah and I, th- I think there's actually still a, a huge um market for, for that kind of stuff still um i mean like i say every time i look in a a specific categories top list uh, there's always these kind of apps that either seem completely useless or, or have been replaced by system functions i mean you know the flashlight app you know we, we've got a torch now built into uh, control center um, and you see these ones that are like warm your hands up and it's just like an app that shows a fireplace uh, and you know and these <laughs> these things sit at the top of the charts for months and months and months um yeah do you, do you remember the uh drink a pint uh ones where it looked you know it would tilt and it would sh- look like you were drinking oh, beer? Th- th- that, that's, <laughs> it's probably still hands down the best app that's ever been released <laughs> just so much fun <laughs> Yes, until you realize you're not actually drinking a beer and you'd rather just have a real beer. Yeah. <laughs> I think what was good about that app was it we hadn't really had phones that had accelerometers and, and things like that in it. So it really what truly was a great example of what could be done. Uh, with, right. With oh, it was. Yeah, it was a great it was a great demo. It was it was um, it was a real novelty at the time. I want to I want to talk about something a little bit more negative uh, about Apple now. Um Signing up to Apple Music has destroyed a significant amount of my music collection, and I'm not yeah, very happy. I saw, your, I saw your tweets about this. I mean, what's going on? I've had some issues and problems along the way, but for the most part, it's sorted itself out. Yeah, so if I just go through the chain of events that's happened to, to get me to this point, it might kind of explain um, a little bit better what happened. So I signed up for the Apple Music trial. Um, I thought, oh, you know, three months, I'll try it out, see if I like it. Um after about a month or so it's it's not for me i'm not streaming doesn't really work um the way i listen to music so i went into itunes on the mac and ios and uh hid apple music from uh you know all the options and menus and stuff so i couldn't see apple music anywhere um which is great you know it it kind of it fixes the music app on ios definitely um it it makes it a lot nicer to use um you get you get a playlist uh tab then don't you uh, yeah, it adds a playlist tab um, in, instead of instead of music. Um, I think you can also turn off iTunes Connect as well, um, which which I've done. You mean 
You mean iTunes Music Library or like uh, iCloud Music Library? I uh, no. What's the Apple Music Connect? Is what I'm thinking of. Sorry. Oh, the, yeah, uh, yeah. The, the following the Twitter type thing that, that they've got for eyes. So you know, I've turned all this off. Um, but what I did like about having Apple Music again, or, or having Apple Music, was that uh, you know my playlists would sync between my phone and, and my Mac and stuff like that. And I thought, you know what, I'll sign up to iTunes Match. Um, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, I think it's like twenty two pounds a year. I thought iTunes Match that'll be perfect. That kind of syncs all my music across between the two devices, playlists, and all of that kind of stuff. That's great. Um, and obviously, the good thing about iTunes Match allegedly is that you know I can kind of delete some songs, or I can only have the songs that I want to keep on you know my Mac or on my iPhone and stuff like that. So I can save space by just leaving them in the cloud. Right. So that that was all working fine, and I deleted a load of compilation albums that I had because I don't really listen to them all too often. Um, I just listen to kind of the odd song that, that's in a playlist. My Apple Music subscription uh, ended, I guess, probably last week or the week before. Um, I guess that was probably the, the case for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And a significant number of these songs that are supposed to be in iTunes Match had converted themselves to Apple Music tracks. So I could no longer listen to them. Um, right. So I tried to play them and it'd say, sign into Apple Music to, to listen to this song. And I'm like, but this is a song that, that I had. You know, this this was nothing to do with Apple Music. Um, right. So it seems what's happened is because I had both at the same time, um, the tracks that went up into iTunes Match, some of them, iTunes or Apple, decided that these are actually Apple Music tracks and not tracks that I own that I should be able to re-download. Right. Um, so I, I I got on support with Apple, and I, I'm not entirely convinced the person I was talking to understood. Firstly, I didn't understand what I'd done, and then didn't really understand why I would have done it. I don't, I don't think it was very obvious that I deleted the songs to save space. Um, and, and basically, the only response from Apple was, well, you deleted the original files, so you need to re-upload them. Um, which obviously is not that that's not an option because I deleted them to save space, so I don't have the original files. Um Were the were these songs that you these aren't songs that you bought from iTunes, I assume, right? No, a lot of most of the compilations I've got are uh stuff that I've ripped from CDs that I had, you know, maybe ten years ago or something like that. Um okay. I, I don't have the CDs anymore. It's possible I have a backup of the tracks somewhere. Um it, it, you know it's not the end of the world i can buy the songs or or, or you know find the backup or something um but yeah i, I their, their response was just well you need to re-upload the original file which obviously i i, I now don't don't have uh, on my mac yeah i i think one of the one of the big issues with apple music these days is that is the difference between how itunes match works you know how the itunes world works and how the apple music world works because they're really two different things their catalogs aren't the same i mean you can and believe me i have like delved into this dealing with my app blink and it was a nightmare because some things are in the catalog the itunes catalog some things are in the apple music catalog there's a lot of overlap but they're not the same um, so there's issues like that there. It's not clear because everything is in the same app. 
you you kind of assume that all the you know all these services and everything are working together uh, hand in hand, but they're not really doing that. Um, I do kind of wonder. I've been I've used iTunes Match for a very long time, and I was going to. I was going to discontinue it and I was a little worried that it would do something awful now that I'm on Apple music. Um, and it's, you know, I've got the opposite of what you had. I, instead of signing up for Apple, um, iTunes match after Apple music, I signed up for it before. And so I, what you're saying makes me wonder whether now a lot of my match stuff is app is considered Apple music. And if I cancel iTunes match, then I'll be fine as long as I'm music. But then if I go back, I may be in a bind. Yeah, I'm a li- it's very confusing. It's very confusing. I think the biggest problem they have in terms of the user-facing functions of both these services, Apple Music and iTunes Match, is Apple Music uses or can use, was it iCloud Music Library? Is that right? Or is it- right. Yeah, so you have iTunes- or iCloud Music Library, which is the the feature that syncs those between you know, your Mac and and your iOS devices and things like that. If you sign up to iTunes Match, there's nothing else in the UI. Once you sign up, there's nothing else that says iTunes Match. iTunes Match uses iCloud Music Library. Yes. But it uses it clearly in a completely different way because iTunes Match does a lot of different different things to what Apple Music has. But from a, a user perspective... If I wasn't the kind of person that, you know, followed along with this stuff, I would have had no idea um, how iTunes Match was even working. Yeah, I think maybe part of the problem is that iTunes Match used to do more than it does now, in a sense, because, and maybe that's, you know, Apple Music has kind of taken over the access to your music library in the cloud to some degree. There's still matching going on, especially for things that wouldn't be in Apple Music. Um, but it seems almost as though Apple music is, is, um, is taking is, is the default. If you've got Apple music on, it's going to try to find your stuff in Apple music. If it doesn't find it there, then it goes to uh, match or, or cloud. If you're, if you've subscribed to that as well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, as I say, I've probably got a backup somewhere. And if I haven't, you know, I can just buy these songs. I mean, literally, you're talking like CDs that I had when I was like, you know, 13, 14, 15. So, you know, I've had them like these, these ripped MP3s I've had for kind of 10 years or so. And yeah, it's annoying that I've lost them. But assuming I can work out which tracks have have been kind of corrupted and disappeared, I'll just buy them or, or find the backups or something like that. Yeah, if you could find the your a backup of your iTunes music library, you know, you can just drill down through those folders and you should be able to I mean maybe you just import it all back in uh and and have a bunch of duplicates and then use there's a way to call duplicates from the iTunes from iTunes on a on a Mac and do it that way. That might work. Yeah, I'm definitely good. I need to uh I need to sit down and kind of work out a way to uh to find out which tracks are are corrupt and which ones aren't because uh right now like there's no obvious way. It just kind of happens when I hit a particular song. Um but you know, it's not the end of the world. It's just kind of you know, more than anything else just something to be aware of um if you're using both services. Yeah, well, the problem is now it's a project. You've got to you've got to spend probably at least a few hours dealing with it, which is not the way it should be. Um, 
one good resource, if you, I would suggest to anybody listening, um, Serenity Caldwell has done a lot of work with Apple Music and iTunes and iTunes Connect and or not iTunes Connect. I just did the same thing you did. <laughs> <laughs> iTunes uh, Cloud Music Library, whatever it's called. Um, she's done a lot of good articles over on iMore that that when I um, was dealing with Apple Music, because I did the thing where I signed up for iTunes Music family plan. One of my kids signed up for iTunes music and the way it worked is you couldn't move them over into the family plan until their, their, uh, you know, their free trial expired, which just seems ludicrous to me, but you know, that one, it it did kind of automatically happen because he was already on family sharing and then, you know, setting up family sharing is a whole nother can of worms. Um, I find I got it to work. Um, but I waited weeks to do that and talked to a bunch of people and read a bunch of articles before I did it. Cause I knew that it was a recipe for disaster. I've heard, had heard a lot of, you know, a lot of horror stories. Um, so I, anytime you go into one of those, those type serve, those cloud services for the media, I think you have to be really careful in what you're doing. And I think serenity, serenity's articles are some of the best in terms of giving you some insight as to how everything's working and how to set it up without doing something that, um, messes up your library yeah Dev, I, serenity i think actually manages to write any how-to article i ever search for i always end up on a serenity caldwell article um she, yeah, she's it's unstoppable really yeah it's definitely her specialty yeah definitely um so we're going to talk about podcast apps too right uh yeah definitely yeah we've had a couple of good uh updates and releases this week uh do you want to start us off Jeff? Yeah, sure. I mean, the, the two apps I wanted to mention were the update to Overcast, the 2.0 that came out, and the Relay FM app. Um, I, I've always I've loved Overcast since it came out. Um, it for me, the the smart speed and voice boost are are key features, as well as the um, you know the fast downloads and and um, flexible organizing of the shows. I had tried a bunch of apps before. I tried Overcast. None of them were quite right for me. And you know it's just one of those situations where Overcast struck a chord with how I listen to, to shows, and uh, it was great when when it came out. Now one of the probably the biggest feature or one of the biggest features of Overcast 2.0 is streaming, which um, is amazingly fast. Uh, you just, if, if something is not downloaded and you tap it, it starts almost immediately, uh, which I was very impressed with. I don't use streaming a lot. I just download my, my, uh, shows, but I found myself this past week, um, coming in on the train for work. And I saw, I got a notification that, that, um, upgrade had been posted. It was the one that, uh, Mike and Jason talked about the new IMAX. So it, instead of coming out kind of the normal time, it, upgrade would be uploaded. It came out, uh, early in the morning for me. So I was on the train and hadn't downloaded all the way yet. And I just tapped it and started listening and it continues to download in the background. So it was only maybe, you know, it saves me a few minutes, but, uh, at most, but it was nice to just be able to go in and start listening as soon as it came, uh, came down the pipe and not have to wait till it fully downloaded. Cause I saw that it was going to talk about the retina max, the retina IMAX. And I wanted to, uh, get Jason's take on that right away. Yeah, to a couple of your points, uh, smart speed and, and voice boost, as you say, are, are th- those are killer features for me. Um, I mean, I, I just checked a minute ago, and, and Overcast has saved me something like 55 hours uh, so far uh, since I've had it in, in kind of the last year. Um, which, you know, 55 hours, that's, you know, that's 55 extra hours of podcasts I've been able to listen to, uh, basically. You know, that's kind of, you know, 
extra time to me. It's <laughs> Overcast has given me the gift of time, um, which really is just it's just such a good feature. Yeah, I'm up at I'm at 82 hours now. So. <laughs> wow, you're listening to a few more than me. Um, yeah, and it gives you it gives you the time to listen to more. It already I still don't have enough time to listen to everything I want to. Um, it seems like I always have some sort of backlog. At least the uh, drive down to release notes next week, I'll have about three hours there and back to kind of get caught up on stuff. But yeah, that that to me is is a killer feature. And the the thing that's amazing about it is it really doesn't it really doesn't in a meaningful way impact the uh, listening the listening at all it does i mean it sounds good it doesn't sound sped up it doesn't sound artificial no i mean i think the only time i uh hear it occasionally is uh is if we've got, if there's music on a podcast um and you've got so every now and again it kind of messes that up but you know for for an extra 50 60 70 hours of of, of time then that's fine by me um you know it it really just is for me, it is the best podcast app. Um, I mean, like you, I had tried other ones, uh, Castro and Pocket Casts. And, you know, it, if Overcast hasn't got a feature that somebody wants, then, you know, Pocket Casts or, or, or Castro or some of these other apps, you know, they are fantastic apps. Um, but for me, like Smart Speed is the feature that I care about the most. Yeah, and I guess the other the the other feature of Overcast, the one that has been the subject of much drama and teeth gnashing on the internet this week, is the fact that the uh, the app's free now, uh, including the Smart Speed and Voice Boost, which used to cost was it, before was an in app purchase of five dollars. The entire the entire app is free, and Marco's using a patronage model to ask people to donate a dollar a month, which in my mind is well worth the price. I'm happy to pay it because I use that app probably more than just about anything other than maybe Twitter. And uh, it's right up there in terms of um, the usage for me. And uh, I think it's an interesting model. I think it works really well for an app like this because this is an app with a really, a really broad based um, user user base. Uh, it's, I think Marco announced last week that he's got half a million people using it now, which is amazing. Uh, and if he only gets a small percentage of them donating to him, he'll do just fine, I think. Um, I've thought about using a patronage model before for Blink and other things, <clears throat> but it doesn't work for, it just doesn't work for productivity and, and niche apps that don't have a huge audience. But I think if you've got an app like Overcast or Pedometer Plus Plus that just about anybody might want to use, um, it's, it's a good model. Yeah, it's definitely. Well, I mean, it, you know, it works for me. I mean, Overcast kind of put the the options in, and I, I was quite, you know, more than happy to pay. Um, and as you as you mentioned, Pedometer Plus Plus is another one. Uh, you know, every now and again, I'll I'll kind of just go in and and uh, you know leave a tip or what is it tip? I think is the phrasing he uses in the app. Um, yep. But but as you say, it it's not a model that's going to work for. Um, I mean, it may, maybe it would work, but you know, it's not necessarily going to work for a brand new app or as you say, something like blink, which is a niche app to, you know, to certainly, um, you know, doesn't have huge broad appeal across the app store. Um, right. But, you know, it'd be interesting to see if he stays with this model or, you know, maybe if he tries something new next year, um, you know, but it, it, it's just interesting to see, um, something, you know, an app with this many users, um, trying a different model and and not being scummy about it right i um what's interesting to me is i i don't know of any app that has done this but i i wonder whether you could do a paid app with a patronage model on top um, or a tip you know a tip jar type model where if you do a major 
update instead of charging or creating a new app and all the all the things that go along with that, which are not positive, uh, going out and letting your diehard users know that you'd appreciate a, a tip because you put in a lot of work to it you know, some new features that they all appreciate. Um, I don't know. I, I tend to think that that wouldn't work, but, uh, it's something I've thought about a lot. Yeah. Again, I mean, I think, uh, I think unread, uh, do that. The RSS reader from, uh, super top. I, I, oh, I, I think they have a, uh, a tip model and I can't remember if they're a paid app or not at this point. Um, but, but again, I, th- I think something like that, um, if you're looking for kind of patronage and kind of voluntary donations where you're not really getting anything back for your money, just you're just supporting the developer, um, I, I do think you probably need, um, you know, a fairly large audience to be able to make that happen. Yep. No, totally agreed. Um, although what I, I guess what I'm suggesting is perhaps there's a way to <clears throat> just get a little incremental revenue regardless, but I don't know. I, it's, like I said, it's not. I just looked. Unread is a free app. Oh, okay. So that so they are they do actually have the uh, the, the, the overcast uh, similar kind of model. Then uh, I think so. Um, and the other app that got released uh, this week was the Relay FM app. Uh, John, do you want to tell us a little bit about this? Sure. This is um, uh, it, it's for podcasts, but it doesn't really compete with existing podcast apps, and on purpose because it's meant to solve a very narrow problem, which is listening to live shows. Um, and I, I really enjoy listening to live shows. It's not, uh, and, and most, many of my favorite podcasts are already on relay and I really enjoy kind of listening in as, as the shows are recorded when I can, uh, which is not that often, but maybe once or twice a week, uh, I find myself either commuting or with a little free time and I can listen into all or part of a show. And I, I really enjoy doing that. Um, the app starts off the stream very, very quickly. Uh, the connection stays real solid for the length of the show. Um, the design I think is phenomenal. Frank Towers has outdone himself once again. I'm never, I, I can't stop gushing about Frank's work. I mean, he does amazing show art for relay and it's pretty neat when you, if you want to stream one of these recent shows, uh, it's got some nice animations of the show art available here. And what's interesting about this app, I think just from more from a technical side side of things is this is all WebKit. This is all, um, you know, it's basically a, a web app. Um, although it's a, it's, I guess, I guess you would call it a native web app because it's not, um, it's not connecting to Safari or Safari view controller, but what it is, is it's a web kit built in here, which allows these guys to update the, uh, the information in the app on the fly in real time without submitting a new version of the app, um, which is really attractive, especially when you're, you're generating as much content as they are. Yeah, it's, it's fairly interesting. Um, before I get into that, as you say, Frank, Frank Towers' artwork is amazing. Um, he did one recently uh, for Mike at the Movies, which is kind of a, a, a sub-podcast of sorts. Um, it, if anyone hasn't seen that, it's uh, Mike Hurley talking with either Casey Lewis or Jason Snell about movies, and they've kind of extracted those out from Upgrade and Analog and put those into a, a podcast. And, and the artwork for that is just fantastic. Yeah, I really like that. You can find that over in, in the incomparable. That's that's where that one lives. But it's the artwork on that one really is amazing. Um, so, uh, as you say, it's, it's it's fairly interesting that um, the the app can kind of be uh, remotely updated uh, without waiting for a, a, an app store update. And they're using, uh, I believe, is it Tapjet? Uh, they're using for the for the app. 
Yes, that was a Kickstarter project that started out its life by the name of Glide. Um, Chris Harris is one of the developers involved in this. And I, this has been in the works for a long time. I remember I met Chris the, for the first time at Ool in 2011 in Dublin, and he had... I forget the name of the app he had. It was um, a BBC show, I think, about um, space that he had done an app for. And it, that, he was showing that off, and it was kind of one of those moments where you're just blown away by um, the the animations and how the, the app worked. Um, and he, at that time, was already starting to think about extracting kind of the framework for how that works into uh, the, into something that he could um, you know sell as a subscription to others who wanted to put their content on the uh, iOS store. Yeah, this kind of remotely updating uh, app, it's, it's a problem that, or, you know, certainly something we've discussed um, at work with, with me and, and kind of the other devs and stuff, um, because we have a, a hybrid uh, kind of web and native app. Um, you know, it, it essentially is a web app, but it's wrapped in a, a native wrapper, and, and we distribute that to iOS and Android. Um, and the biggest problem we have is, is, you know, if we fix a bug or, or add a new feature... Android, we can have that in the store within 30 minutes. iOS, we could be waiting, you know, anywhere up to two weeks or something. Um, you know, and this kind of remote updating, uh, I think really is is quite appealing to, uh, especially, again, something like Relay, where they probably do want to be out, you know, to the, the, the widest audience they can, um, you know, and get that content updated as soon as possible to make sure that people can can access everything. Um so it's an interesting concept, and I think in the next few years we'll probably see a lot more apps uh, doing this. I mean, I know my my banking app in the UK does this. Um, that they, they you know they don't advertise it or anything, but it's it's fairly obvious that that is what they're doing. Um, and I think a lot more um, kind of bigger companies that that just need kind of the same app on on all the platforms um, will probably start doing this a lot more in the future. Right. You know, it, you know, it works. What it reminds me of a little bit is how um, a, Jekyll, a Jekyll website works, you know, something uh, that where you can just draw, as I understand, it, you just drop the content into Dropbox folders to make this work. Uh, yeah, there is services that uh, so Jekyll is kind of a build system and it takes markdown files and outputs HTML. And uh, uh, yeah, as you say, there's a few services that will um, allow you to do that through Dropbox and, and Google Drive and stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's a fairly good um, analogy to, to what's happening here. Yeah, it's you, the developer in me looks at it and I can see I can see the WebKit, um, but I don't think most people will notice that this is not a custom app because it, I mean I can see where the constraints are and where the limitations are because there's definitely limitations and constraints when your your entire app is built on um, just one framework like like WebKit, but. Um, but they've really taken it as far as you possibly can. And I think it, it not only, I don't think these constraints are really getting in the way of this app because it, I think it does everything that they needed it to do and does it very well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think the, uh, the biggest example of, uh, this kind of, uh, hybrid kind of app is, uh, is Facebook's app. Um, they use react native for that, which is JavaScript, um, to, to write all of their, um ui and stuff like that um and, and react native kind of uses native components but it's powered by javascript um and and you know facebook's obviously one of the biggest apps uh in the app store and it means that they can remotely update it and, and you know a lot of the the uh the news feed and stuff like that they can uh remotely update and things like that so 
Yeah, I think in the next few years we're, we're going to see a lot more because Apple have also uh, explicitly said that this is okay um, in the guidelines. Do you think that, that Facebook's use of JavaScript and all that remote updating is part of what's cr- crushing people's batteries? Um, I, I don't think so um, because based I've, I've had a little bit of a, a play around with React Native and without uh, writing a lot of native components um i don't think they would have access to to be able to mess up the battery in the way that they do um i personally think that we're probably not going to get too far into this but personally i think they're doing it on purpose um the the background battery killing um i i think they are using the the audio api in ways that they shouldn't be to just to keep the app open so that they can um update the newsfeed and stuff like that but uh yeah yeah, no, that boy, that battery stuff that that that's something that was faced back in iOS one or two. I'm amazed that that someone's using that now and getting away with it potentially. Well, I mean, it's Facebook, and I don't think Apple want an app store without Facebook on there. That, yeah, I think that's uh, interesting. I think this is the biggest problem: is Apple. You know, if it was somebody else, maybe Apple would pull the app, but the iPhone becomes a much less appealing proposition to a lot of people if it doesn't have a facebook app well my guess is they'll change the api to break it i mean you know you saw what twitter was doing at one point twitter was using url schemes to basically ping (coughs) ping an enormous list of url schemes against what was on a phone and make a you know make a, a database of what was installed on a phone and then use it to serve apps i mean advertising to people which you know, is is an abuse of the URL scheme system. So that was changed for I, that was changed for iOS nine to make that harder. Yeah, definitely. Um, let's get onto something that obviously is far more important than apps and the app store and things like this. The UK plastic bag chaos, as, as it's been called. Yes, this is you know look, this is hard hitting news, and it's an important important subject for everybody in the UK. I know, and we've actually had some experience with this here in uh, Chicago area as well. It's although we've taken a little different different tact on it yeah i'm coping john i know you've been worried but i am okay um everything's all right uh, so for anyone who who maybe doesn't know um the uk on uh last monday i think i think it was monday the 5th um all retailers now or all large retailers uh, supermarkets and shops things like that have to charge 5p for uh, any plastic bags that you use um, now that seems perfectly reasonable the thinking is if you're being charged for them then maybe you'll just reuse bags and you know bring your own in a hope to uh, reduce plastic bag usage and, and this has been trialed in uh, Scotland and Wales uh, or not trialed it, it is running and has been for a few years in those in those places and it's been absolutely fine it's reduced bag usage and, and waste and all this kind of stuff um and the uh the media in this country have they just completely lost it um on on the day uh that it happened you know the, the head the headline front page story was uh you know plastic bag chaos expected and, and things like this of course in reality that's not the case and, and it hasn't really affected anybody too much yeah, no, I definitely have to get the pictures of these headlines in the show notes because I thought it was pretty funny. Yeah, I, I can't even imagine what this must look like to somebody outside of the UK. I mean, this, this I expect this kind of stuff, but I, I mean, this is why the world thinks we're ridiculous. Well, you wonder sometimes, it, it's no it's no wonder that why there's so much drama on Twitter sometimes when you realize all of, 
everybody is like this. Um, <clears throat> people get up in arms about silly stuff. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, I, I felt the uh, the funniest story for me, and I'm not 100 percent sure what newspaper this is in because it's just a screenshot on Twitter or a photo on Twitter. Um, it's a it's an article in a personal finance section of a newspaper, um, and it says to beat the bag charge, just say no and bring your own. Um, <laughs> right, which is which is the whole point of it anyway, right? Yeah, as if you're trick it, as if you're you know you're sticking it to the man by not you know by bringing your own bags. And I, you see this, and you're like, this is exactly what they want you to do. Like this is the whole point of the system. <laughs> All right, you've just been played. The, the bags are five pence, right? Uh, yeah, that's right. Okay, which is like, I did the conversion. That's like eight cents uh, US. So uh, it's not something to really get up in arms about, in my opinion. But I thought of the the articles are funny. Um, I did learn that people shop at Tesco or is it Tesco or Tesco? Uh, Tesco, yeah. Tesco are, are cheap because <laughs> they seem they 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 started stealing the uh, the baskets, right? Yeah, th- this is this is just madness i mean i don't even know what i'm supposed to say to this but yes rather than paying 5p people are stealing the shopping baskets so that they don't have to pay for a bag i i also saw another example when i was funny enough when i was in my local tesco um there was um the man and a woman in front of me doing their their weekly shopping by the looks of it um or maybe not week you know but they had probably a bag or two's worth of stuff um mm-hmm would not pay for the bags um th- th- and they were kind of balancing everything and, and the woman was like hooking the milk onto her little finger so that she could carry it all out and i'm and i'm just kind of thinking this is this is crazy like just either bring bags or just pay for one yeah there's better ways to sp- save money i guess well, we we have a similar thing in chicago that came it started over the summer uh where the same it's those thin you know, those real thin bags that they're trying to get rid of because I guess something like 3 to 5% of them end up as litter and blow around the city. So they banned those from Chicago. And uh, instead of charging people money for them, they, they, they you can either buy like a real heavy-duty bag. A lot of grocery stores will have like a um, like a dollar and it'd be a recycled, you know, re- some sort of like nylon plasticky bag that's real sturdy. Uh, and they usually cost about a dollar a piece. And a lot of grocery stores would um, give you a couple free, depending on how much you spent to try to kind of build up the supply of these with the customers. Um, but it, the whole thing has backfired a little bit because <clears throat> it was okay. It's uh, the only bags that were, um, that were banned were the real thin ones, mm. um, thicker, thicker bags were not. So, Walmart and places like that in downtown Chicago just started using really heavy-duty plastic bags. So now those are blowing around the city. Right. So they haven't actually solved uh, any of the problems then, by the sounds of it. No. I mean, I I went to a um, NS Coder night in Chicago about a week and a half ago, and it was kind of a BYOB pizza thing, and people did a few talks about apps they're working on. Um, and I there was a there was a uh, liquor store right nearby where it was being done, and I went in and got some beer, and it's like, and they gave me this enormous heavy <clears throat> paper bag. I was like, well, <laughs> it just. Uh, which was really hard to carry and and, and a, a pain compared to what you normally get. So it was, I mean, that's what you're getting. You're either getting a really heavy paper bag or you're getting a thick plastic bag. And then other places that normally carried paper bags for their groceries already, um, they're just continuing to use those. So I don't know that it's it's amounted to much, but it caused apparently a lot of confusion in Chicago too. Yeah, it sounds like maybe, um, you know, this is one of the big differences, I think, between the U.S. and the U.K., um, we don't have 
paper bags for groceries like anywhere um i mean every single um supermarket and places like that all use plastic bags like i can't i think some of the clothes shops um that they use kind of paper bags but they do have a handle on them um so you know that they're pretty good but in terms of groceries like everywhere just does plastic bags um so i think that's probably why they introduced the charge more than uh more than just banning them right um i was looking on this uh timeout uh article which is part of the the chicago uh section of the site and uh it, you know it, it does kind of look like the panic was maybe a little bit the same um i'm seeing question what can i do to prepare um I mean, <laughs> I know. as if this is kind of like a genuine like life or death situation um well, in terms of what yeah, to do what, what is hard is if you go to some place that doesn't have the paper bags um and you have to bring your own bags i know people who live in the city who will go shopping on the way home from work and it's it's a pain if you do that because then you got to bring your bags to work and carry them within the grocery store it's a little bit of a hassle but you know not that not that big a yeah deal. i'm not sure it's a situation that um requires preparation uh too much um you know just remember bags though that's the that's the that's the number one uh top tip there i think yep um so do you want to tell me about um you've we've got a little section in here about stuff we're enjoying um you've got a couple of uh couple of items in here john Sure, Rob. Um, one thing, uh, a week ago, The Walking Dead restarted. I love this show. Um, it's interesting. Uh, if you go back, it's on, at least in the U.S., it's on on Netflix uh, all the way through last season. And if you look at the early ones, they really had to rely pretty heavily on the story because they, they didn't have big budgets, and so the special effects weren't great. Um, I think season two is a little weak, but every se- season since then I've really enjoyed, and I think we're on season six now. I think that just started. Um, and now they've got a really good story and a big budget. Uh, so the special effects are pretty good. And I really enjoyed the, uh, the premiere episode. Uh, I guess it was a week ago and there's another one on tonight. This is one of those few shows that I actually will buy in iTunes, uh, because I, I can't watch it the night it airs, but I can watch it the next, the next night. Uh, and that way I don't have to, it's got a nice high quality version without any commercials. That's the way I like to watch it. Yeah, definitely. I, it's not something that um, that I've watched, but I, you know, I have heard good things about it, and and I, you know, I agree. It's, it's nice when when a so, show manages to uh, uh, you know grab a big budget and, and kind of improve. Yep, yep. Um, the other two things I'd mention is the uh, Top Four podcast, which is um, done by Tiff Armand and Marco Armand. Uh, they've just talk about their top four of <clears throat> various things. Uh, the most recent one is their top four favorite podcasts. They actually talk about a lot more than just their top four. Um, and it's just, I think it's a well done show and, and kind of interesting you know, to see what they they enjoy and um, good way to discover new things. And then finally, uh, Mike Hurley got me hooked on this game called Domino Drop, which is a little bit like Tetris, I suppose, but it's dominoes dropping down. Um, and uh, it's a combination of dominoes and white squares. And the white squares um, is what makes it tough because you cannot eliminate a white, uh, a series of white squares until you have four of them touching each other. Um and then the domino, the actual domino pieces, you know, they they break when um, when you get uh, you know the same color and number touching each other, and and as they break, you know, it's one of those games where it's like Tetris in that it fills up a container up to the top, and when you get to the top, you're done. Um, and it's just one of those that's kind of fun to fiddle around with. It's a quick game kind of thing. You can if you're 
tired and just have nothing to do, spend a little time playing Domino Drop. I think it's the check. I think it's like two dollars on the store or something like that. Yeah, I'm just having a look at it now. It uh, looks looks like a lot of fun actually. So we'll, uh, we'll we'll drop a link in the show notes for that. How about you, Rob? Do you have anything? Uh, yeah, there's a couple of things. Um, Bird Brain app. Um, I th- a few people have been talking about this recently. It's been out in the store for a while, um, and you you link it to your Twitter account, and it um, it keeps track of you know new followers and followers that have you know people that have unfollowed you on Twitter, um, mentions, retweets, all that kind of stuff. Um, gives you the option to kind of see um, people who who follow you that you don't follow or the other way around or um you know people that do follow you back that you follow that kind of thing um you know it's just nice to um kind of get a little bit of uh information about how the how the numbers are going up and down kind of followers and things like that um so that's quite a nice uh little app just to just to keep track of that stuff no, that's good. I think I maybe did hear about that somewhere, but I had forgotten about it. I definitely want to download this. Um, seems kind of an, like an interesting thing. Of course, when I do a search, <clears throat> first thing that comes up is something called Bird Brain Escape from Rio de Janeiro. Yeah, that's not the same thing, John. No, don't don't download that. <laughs> this the second the second result is the right one. Bird Bird Brain statistics for Twitter. Yep, that's the one. And that's three dollars US. So the um, the other app. Uh, that I wanted to talk about is uh, an app called Gitify, um, and this is this is a menu bar app to um, to get your GitHub notifications. Um, I, I, GitHub, you know, if you sign up for an account as standard, GitHub will email you every notification you get, um, and that can get a little bit uh, crazy, especially if, like me and our team at work, you know, we use GitHub all day. So if there's a long conversation going on. I'm going to be getting emails coming through all day long. Um, and, and I was using an app called The Hub, um, but there's there's a bug in um, El Capitan where it will continually show that you've got a new notification in when, even when you haven't. Um, so while I was actually looking for something else related to work, uh, I found this app. Um, and it, linked, funnily enough, links quite, in, quite nicely into what we were talking about before. Um, it's actually an app built with uh, JavaScript, um, but it, it runs as a native app in the uh, in the menu bar. Um, and I, I've been testing it for two or three days now, and it, it, it you know it works really well. Um, so if you do use GitHub um, and you get a lot of notifications, it's uh, it's definitely worth um, checking that out. And we'll uh, we'll put a link in the show notes to it. All right, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to actually uh, recommend an article too that I saw Federico Vitici. Um, tweet last night and now i'm not finding where it is but i will we'll get it in the show notes it was a gq article about taylor swift and i'm not a huge taylor swift fan i do enjoy taylor swift i will admit that but uh, what was interesting about the article i think it's applicable to a lot of anybody who's got um, projects and trying to you know make make a go of it it's it's all about her hard work and skill and how she's been able to parlay that into the success she's had i mean i think it's um i think it's a timely article for people to read yeah definitely i i I read uh some of that i still i I put it in instapaper to uh, get back to it but yeah it definitely uh was an interesting article uh from what i've read so yeah we'll uh we'll pop that in the show notes as well so uh, the last thing I wanted to mention, if um, if people are listening and they like the show, if you could review us in iTunes, that would be great. Because um, I think right now we we don't have any, um, as far as I know. If, you know, if we could get a couple of those, that'd be great. Um, so 
where can people find you then john uh online Pro- yeah probably the best place is twitter at at John Voorhees, that's J-O-H-N-V-O-O-R-H-E-E-S. Um, or you can check out my apps and Owen's apps at squibner.com. Okay, and you can find me at roblewis.me or my Twitter account is rmlewisuk. And we will be back in a couple of weeks. Great. Let's talk to you then. See you later, John.